1: Today is July 26, and this is Erin Chamberlake, the Real Food Revivalist. If you want to feel your best, lose fat, and experience optimal health, you're in the right place. Well, four weeks ago, we had an amazing show with special guest, Caveman Doctor. The archives are on iTunes. You can get there from my website, getbetterwellness.com. We unpacked many uh, truth topics and talked about the most effective diet for the prevention and treatment of cancer. So we tackled the big subject, but we had the right guest to do that. And today I have him back again. Dr. Colin Champ is the caveman doctor and he's here with us for part two because part one did not give us enough time and there was a whole other topic that we wanted to get into, Um, the Caveman Doctor website is cavemandoctor.com. So welcome, Dr. Colin Champ.
0: Thank you so much, Erin. It's great to be back. It was great speaking with you about a month ago, and I look forward to the show today.
1: Yeah, I appreciate you coming back. And Dr. Champ, if you weren't with us the first time, you've got to go back and listen to the archives. It was phenomenal. He is currently completing his specialty training in radiation oncology, and he has been published in peer-reviewed journals. And um, so we have the person who understands the diet that um, is opposite of what we're being told to eat And early on, Dr. Champ discovered that what he was taught in medical school regarding nutrition was wrong. And in the first podcast, he said, yeah, go ahead and turn that food pyramid upside down and you're closer to where we need to be. But doctors are telling patients to eat low-fat diets and to eat high carbohydrates. And it isn't working because we're following the wrong direction. So listen to that June um, podcast. So, Dr. Champ, let's kind of just outline a few things that we did um, talk about last time about the best diet for cancer patients and anything new you want to share on that topic before we change gears.
0: Absolutely. One one thing we touched on a lot was the ketogenic diet, and this is, of course, experimental, and in animal studies it is showing a lot of promise in preventing cancer and treating cancer and in supplementing chemotherapy and radiation therapy, which are two traditional treatments for cancer. And one thing we touched on was potentially starving a, a tumor, basically. These tumor cells generally run on on sugar. They, uh, they're they unable to use their mitochondria it, uh, often to make their energy, so they use sugar to do this. And we, we also talked about how this is why PET scans light up. And... One extension from this, which we didn't get into so much because we are talking about so much, is the pathways, these cellular pathways that also are downregulated. So you're not necessarily just starving uh, cancer cells of of food and nutrients, but you're actually downregulating these pathways that cancer cells use to to actually derive more energy. And one of these is is the insulin pathway. And and I think most of the listeners out there are familiar with insulin, but what it does is lower blood sugar uh, after you eat foods that are dense in sugar, dense in carbohydrates and uh, a colleague of mine a great guy Dr. Fine is a pioneer in this field and he has uh, just completed a trial in 10 cancer patients where they showed that putting them on a ketogenic diet effectively downregulates this insulin pathway and basically starves these these cancer cells from from another another pathway through this through the same diet so I think there's probably a lot of ways that we can decreased tumor growth and and starve a tumor from not only not giving it sugar but down-regulating a lot of these pathways. So this is more more promising data in this this fight against cancer.
1: Right, because you said there just aren't, you know, a lot of published studies in this area, Mm -hmm. but people, you know, we who are sick just want the answers they don't want to wait for published studies so any information that's promising in treating cancer is what we want to hear about, even if it's you know um, an incidental story but but we have you know animal studies, and you have you know now this ten cancer patient study and and things are all pointing in that same direction. That the best diet for cancer patients is what you shared with us, and, and you also shared that it's also the best diet for diabetes, heart disease, epilepsy, and Alzheimer's. And what about regular, well, people? How how does it affect them?
0: <laughs> uh, absolutely. I mean, a lot of a lot of the data that that we get from normal uh, or not normal, but healthy patients without cancer, kind of what give us a sneak peek into what may work for cancer and so a lot of these studies and a lot of my thoughts and and ideas come from looking what we do in in non-cancer patients and there's been a lot of studies that compare these low carbohydrate diets with low fat diets and there's just not not a lot actually none that show the low fat diet to be better the majority show a low carbohydrate diet to be better to be better the real question is how much do we limit these carbs, and all, all this minutia, do we have to go into ketosis, which is probably not the case. But, you know, extrapolating from this, if we eat the foods we're meant to eat, the the, the real foods that we, we talked about last week, the foods that you talk about often, you know, these are generally on the lower end of, of carbohydrates, and I, I think they're likely fitting for, for what would be the optimal diet.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that, and that's, you know, what I teach, that, You know, people will do that scary thing of just stop the grains, the sugar, the artificial ingredients for a few weeks and just show yourself how great you can feel. Most people go into it thinking it's a three-week diet she's asking me to do, and and then they're like, I'm never going back to that standard American diet. I felt like, you know, garbage on that, and now I have energy and I'm losing weight. So it's easy because it's delicious and you're not hungry.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, these are the foods that fill you up.
1: Right. Well, um, sometimes, as the real food revivalist, I spend most of my time talking about food, but we can be eating the right types of food, and yet we can be drenching ourselves in chemicals without realizing it. There's um, over 80,000 chemicals in use in the U.S. today, and yet only a few hundred have been tested for safety. Isn't that comforting? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I know um, you have a special interest in the connection um, between some of these toxins and cancer. So, tell us um, what got your attention in that area.
0: Initially, my attention was towards estrogens, uh, breast breast cancer, prostate cancer are both cancers that express receptors on the on the cell surface that is uh, that binds estrogen and increases their Tumor proliferation. Uh, we find that a lot of breast cancer patients, their, their tumors are activated by estrogen, and it's 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 scary because a lot of these chemicals that are found in the environment, they are xenoestrogens. They increase estrogen in your body. They're capable of binding to these receptors, and on a petri dish and in animals, they're capable of of causing tumor proliferation, cellular proliferation, and that to me was a was a scary thing. You know, we're trying to not only treat patients for cancer here we're trying to really stop it from happening uh and that's that's kind of your surefire way to be cured is to never get it um but you know it still happens it happens a lot and a lot of these chemicals around us that are ubiquitous in our nature are in our environment excuse me are doing the same things that we know can lead to cancer so it's really led me to connect the dots and it's uh changed my life on on uh on what i can do to stop these chemicals
1: right i mean we can't live in a bubble but there's so many <laughs> things like you said that we can do um so let's talk about where these xenoestrogens are coming from in the environment what types of um, things are xenoestrogens coming in
0: Mm-hmm. so there's two main ones i mean there are there's many different sources, but two of the main ones are, are the pesticides or the uh organopesticides which they're called. And then there's the other big one is plastic. And the organopesticides, I think people generally are a little more accepting that these are toxic uh chemicals that cause health issues. I mean these are used these are used to kill insects, to kill pesticides. So it's 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 kinda hard to think they're not gonna harm us too that that's the first source. And then the other source is a much more difficult one to swallow, but plastics. A lot of the chemicals in plastic, the chemicals that make them flexible, the chemicals that make them able to rub against each other without sticking, uh, the chemicals that actually make paper waterproof, uh, receipts that you get at the gas station are coated with it, a lot of these paper bags that you can put coffee and other things in it that help seal it. Well, what makes that paper a sealant is uh, these these plastics. Right, pizza
1: boxes, so the grease doesn't soak through, and the wrappers at the hamburger place, right?
0: Absolutely, <laughs> All they're coatings. They're everywhere, and I forget the number. I right? something like six billion tons per year of these mm. plastics are are made. And they they haven't they've been tested in animals. Um, but, you know, we can't really test them in humans. It's not it's not ethical to take a group of people and give them varying doses of these plastics and see what happens. Right. But they're they're everywhere in our environment.
1: Well, can you explain how this is leading to cancer? Is it because they're binding to the estrogen receptors alone, or is there something else going on?
0: So, binding to the estrogen receptors is more of a direct smoking gun uh, theory as to why this is happening. The other big thing, and this is a term that's, I think it's less controversial nowadays. It was at first when it was uh, unveiled, but called endocrine disruptors. And our endocrine system is a very, very complicated system of our brain that secretes some hormones that act on certain organs. These organs secrete other hormones. Uh, the thyroid's a good example that most people are uh, familiar with, and when they think endocrine, they think thyroid. But there's a it's an elaborate elaborate system in our body there's a big intricate interplay of hormones, and these plastics get in there and they disrupt it and this is this has been shown this has actually been shown in humans too uh not directly in some clinical trial where they purposely give these toxins to humans, but it has been shown and these this same system this endocrine system is responsible for growth of our organs, our metabolism uh function of our organs so when that gets out of whack it's not it's not it's definitely understandable to think that it could cause a lot of health issues including cancer especially the fact that it controls organ growth and cellular growth and this is once again this has been shown in animal models and the naysayers say oh those are very high doses but it has been shown in lower doses as well and the other question is when these things become so ubiquitous in our environment what is that dose so there it's we don't have a smoking gun per se to say 100% mm-hmm. these cause these issues but When you see the data, and I'm writing an article on this now. It will be on my website. When you see the number of studies and you see the data, it is very compelling.
1: And, you know, lower doses accumulate over time into big doses. So that's not comforting, you know, because we're not being exposed only once. And I know a lot of um, organizations would like to, you know, discredit any, any, you know, bad-mouthing of plastics because there's a lot Mm -hmm. of money at stake here. So we have to, you know, decide who we're going to listen to—the people who are making money from the plastic industry. Um, so where, you know, are these toxic toxins found? I know like BPA is one of the things, you know, we hear about. What are some of the other names we should pay attention to, or where are they found?
0: So BPA—I think it was actually banned a couple of days ago in children's bottles, if in one state or maybe nationwide. I'm not sure, but BPA has taken a lot of the blame. And that initially is what really scared me because when I found out it was in water bottles, and it leaches out into the water. And I mean, when you drink water and it tastes like plastic, that's kind of you're drinking that BPA. So that mm-hmm. really scared me at first, and I started buying plastic products that were BPA free. Mm-hmm. Then, then, unfortunately, you read about all the other plastic chemical, all the other chemicals in plastic, and you find out they're probably just as bad. Uh, and these are uh, phthalates are a big one. They're in PVC, PVC piping. Plastics, clay, waxes. Um, styrene is another one you read about. Um, mm-hmm. Styrene has been shown to upregulate a lot, a lot of the pathways that we brushed on initially that, that insulin can bind to and increase uh, cancer cell proliferation. Styrene has been shown to activate a lot of these same pathways in animal models, so that's uh, that's another scary one.
1: So we're talking well. styrofoam cups, right? You go to the yeah, coffee exactly. shop and they put your coffee in styrene. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So if I, you know, I'm getting a cup of coffee out, I I gotta go to a place that's putting it in paper or you know something, or I can get a glass mug because I just can't, you know. I returned it like, oh, I don't want that styrofoam cup. I yeah, exactly. <laughs> I
0: had a conference an hour ago where they were serving coffee in plastic cups, and I sat there watching. No, Everyone drink like, their I would like their... to
1: drink that but I can't.
0: <laughs> exactly. And it and this is where the it can get very crazy very fast. So of course it's it's to each his own and, and how okay. you want to avoid some of these things. But uh it definitely takes a little more preparation and uh. Well lastly, and then the...
1: um go uh, go ahead.
0: Then, uh sorry, one more. The the big one lately that's been all consuming for me is parabens. And parabens are these binders that are they're using cosmetics, they're using sunscreen. Uh, They do kill bacteria, they do kill fungi, Um, they're moisturizers, they're in your shampoo, they're in your deodorant, and these have been found in in tumor specimens, in human tumor specimens, now these aren't animal studies, in uh, mastectomy specimens for women with breast cancer, they found these in high concentration, they're mostly in the upper outer quadrant of the breast, which is just lateral to where you're putting deodorant on, and this is where most tumors occur. Uh, Now, we can't say that these are causing the tumors, of course. But it is pretty scary when you you can basically look at the breast and quadrants and find out that where the tumor cells are is the highest concentration of these, these parabens. So it's very worrisome to me, not a smoking gun by any means, but and they are everywhere.
1: Right. And so I mean, we just need to read ingredient labels and we'll see the word paraben in some form that we recognize mm-hmm. like that?
0: Methyl, ethyl, there's all these different, but yeah, just make sure they they list that paraben. And they're in a lot of sunscreens, and and there are definitely studies where they took skin cells and they put parabens, and when they put that paraben in front of sunlight, in front of UV rays, it actually became oxidized. So for the listener, it became full of free radicals. Mm. So (laughs) they may actually lead to skin damage, yet they're in our sunscreens.
1: Yeah, the more you know, the more you just want to, dig a hole and crawl in <laughs>
0: exactly and once again on, it's...
1: because you know at the end by right before the end of the show we're going to talk um about the positive things that we can do and how to get mm-hmm. it out you know because we've all been Absolutely. like i've been putting deodorant on i've been drinking out of styrofoam what are we going to do um i just want to mention the bisphenol a the bpa is mm-hmm. in the lining of cans as well yes canned food and then one of my favorite foods is coconut milk, and you can't buy it around here anyway in a carton because it's full of carrageenan and other additives that are acting like MSG, so you have to buy it in a can, and I've only found one um, currently, that's one or two that are currently BPA-free, um, so I'll just mention those native forest and natural value, and in a few weeks, the natural value brand will also be free of guar gum, which to my knowledge, is going to be one of the only, you know, manufacturers. It will be BPA-free and guar gum-free. So take a look for that on your store shelves. And no, I don't get paid for that.
0: <laughs> I, don't see it. I, like,
1: I like coconut milk. <laughs> so, um, you know, you mentioned uh, breast cancer. Are there specific cancers in addition to that that are more susceptible to these toxins, you know, like breast and cancer? I mean, breast and prostate cancer?
0: Breast and prostate are two of the the big ones. Um, endometrial, k- kind of these these sex organs. Um, basically, any any organ where or any uh, part of the body where there's a risk of cancer from from estrogen release. So, for instance, uh, endometrial cancer, breast cancer. Women that never have children are at higher risk because they have more estrogen stimulation throughout their life. Uh, women who have menopause much later have more estrogen stimulation. So all these things that increase estrogen kind of naturally in your body are risks. So the same kind of cancers are the ones we're worried about. It's right. All that estrogen link.
1: So all these toxins are coming in from, you know, we're pouring chemicals on our lawns, we're applying cosmetics and deodorant, washing our hair with, you know, all these terrible things. So what does the body do when these chemicals come in? What is, how does it deal with them?
0: So this is a tough, tough area to figure out what exactly happens. There's there's studies where they look at serum levels afterwards. There's, I mean, you, you can buy your own kits for BPA and check your urine for it. So uh, <laughs> scary, very scary. I don't even know if I want to know how much BPA right. goes through my body. Uh, but the, the scariest thing is we know that it's stored in your fat. And there's a lot of studies that show this. They've they've checked people for all these organopesticides. They checked uh people for agent orange, uh, which was the, the toxin used in, in Vietnam. And they actually found that people who were never even exposed to it tested positive for it in their in their fat, in their adipose tissue. Hmm. So we know we're storing it there. Uh, just an- another reason to to keep that weight off.
1: Right. So the if you have a lot of toxins that you've been exposed to and um the body is going to store it in fat to protect probably the other organs then how do we get it out of the fat <laughs> so our fat you know stores can be released
0: that is a tough tough question and there's a lot of controversy about that um i, I have a my personally I have a couple strategies to actually get it out to actually extract it is a, a whole other story i know um Dr. Mercula pushes uh chlorella and mm-hmm. that's a it's a controversial supplement it, it uh Rob Rob Wolf the famous Rob Wolf from the the Paleo mm-hmm. World he wrote a, or he did a post a podcast on it about it being kind of a Trojan horse. We talk about a lot of these grains that can punch holes in your intestines and let toxins and bacteria in. Uh, we don't know if chlorella does the same thing. I'm I'm not I don't take it. I'm I just I don't know enough about it and I I can't get a good grasp on it. Um so really my kind of steps are eliminate those toxins in our home in, in my home and my workplace to the best of my ability obviously I can't go nuts uh mm-hmm. that way then when I do experience or encounter them it's it's not as big of a deal um I have to prepare a lot ahead of time I, I have a stainless steel mug in front of me right here that I fill up at home uh and really uh, avoiding foods that are sprayed with some of these toxins uh, and if if that's if you're unable to do that financially, if you're unable to get the organic vegetables, the organic fruits, just make sure you wash them. Um, it's fine, we, you know, it's understandable. And just make sure you wash those guys off and keep eating the skins though. Uh, and really importantly, and I hit on this so much, is avoiding animals that account, encounter these toxins. So if if they're in our fat and we're having trouble getting them out, if you eat the fat from a cow that's that's roaming around or not roaming around, that's getting stuffed with grains, getting injected with antibiotics, and eating foods that are sprayed with pesticides, you are going to indirectly eat those pesticides too. So avoid those foods. And then most importantly, just try to stay healthy and keep your body fat to a minimum. If you're limiting your body storage capacity of these toxins and chemicals, they're not going to be able to bind anywhere. Obviously, you can't eliminate all of your body fat. Women especially have a higher percentage of body fat naturally. You can't get rid of those. Uh, In terms of extracting the toxins out, there's no there's no good easy solution basically. I think just overall being healthy, keeping the fat down. That's that's how I do it.
1: And one thing I um was wondering about was the infrared sauna, which mm-hmm. isn't really accessible to many people, but um I know that, that, you know, is one helpful thing that people can do if you do have access to it. I'm not sure the same applies to Steam sauna because of the way the infrared saunas work, but if you have access to it that would be, you know, a good thing to sit in. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: And detox Dr. A little bit.
0: Mercola talks about that as well. I mean, he he said there's one sauna where they you have to clean it out afterwards because there's so many toxins from people sweating them out.
1: Right. Uh, and did... I've yeah, I've even heard, you know, anecdotally that, you know, these lifelong painters, you know, house painters mm. going in the infrared sauna and, you know, like serpentine or whatever smells coming out of them, you know, you mm-hmm. just start storing the stuff and it, it does release something. But, yeah, it's it, there's definitely some, you know, information on the Internet that you can read about that if that interests you. So you said, um, you know, we want to avoid the pesticides sprayed on our food, so eat organic, you know, when possible. But we can also um, just not worry about the crops that aren't heavily sprayed. And if you don't know which those are, the ewg.org website lists, you know, the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15. So when you're looking at your budget, you know, if, if it's in the Clean 15, you don't have to buy it organic because it's not heavily sprayed. Um, so, you know, put your money in the apples and the lettuce and, you know, things that are heavily sprayed uh, for the organic. But, yeah, I agree with the um dairy and meat and animal products, you know, to find find your own farmer if you can so you can see how they're raised. Um and washing it and and what um let's see there was um you know food storage and cooking you talked about, you know, well stainless steel and glass is always, you know, premium for food storage. Like I just save all my old jars and um, you know store food in there or buy, you know, the ball-type jars for food storage. But um, what about, you know, plastic toys and bottles and, you know, things like that? I mean, we just have to do the best we can, right?
0: Absolutely. And I was talking about one one of my colleagues talking about this, and he doesn't buy into all the plastic business that I discussed at length with him. However, he did just have a kid, and for his kid he said absolutely. And. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's the other issue. We don't know what dose causes the problems. Uh, and, you know, in, in us, we don't know the dose. But in, in kids, their their organs are still developing. Uh, this this system, there's a lot of hormones going on. So to increase or decrease those hormones, we don't know what's going to happen. And there There is data showing that the response might be U-shaped, whereas really high doses can affect you and really low doses can affect mm-hmm. you, especially in children. And animal studies show the younger they are, the more problems that can go wrong and there actually there is uh off the top of my head just remember there is a study where pregnant mothers they they looked at their levels of of several of these plastic toxins in their in their blood and in their amniotic fluid they actually showed significant changes in the sexual organs of of their children and we don't we don't know if this is going to lead to any issues but there's definitely something going on there and it that scares me i think kids you really have to push to to decrease the doses of any of these toxins as much as possible.
1: Right, and the baby isn't born, you know, without toxins. They're finding that they already have toxins in them uh, when they're born. So that would be a case for anybody who, you know, doesn't care about themselves, um, but their future children, you know, know, we do got to prepare for the day when we might have children as much as possible with our, you know, changing our diet and getting these, chemicals and plastics out so the um the plastic softening chemicals the uh, phthalates um so things that are you know the rubber chew toys you know we have to start thinking is this you know safe does it have that in there so are we supposed to call the manufacturer i wonder or just assume if it's a soft plastic yeah it's in there
0: yeah if it's a soft plastic i i just pretty much assume it's in there and even mm-hmm. if it's bpa free we don't know what, what are they replacing the BPA with. And, and once mm-hmm. again, this is where you have to personally draw a line in the sand. And maybe you say, mm-hmm. um, you know, their bottles are made out of glass, or in other ways I'm I'm compensating for this, so then maybe it's not that big of a deal if you give them this rubber toy. Uh, it's, it's personal.
1: Right. Yeah, we're just trying to, you know, reduce in any area where it is possible because there's a lot of things that we can do. And, um, you know, what's interesting, I found a report um from the government that it was uh, published in 2010 called Reducing Environmental Cancer Risk, What We Can Do Now, and it was really a pretty good report urging us to eat foods grown without chemical pesticides, fertilizers, hormones, and antibiotics, And and the report suggested that we avoid heating plastic in the microwave and not use water bottles that have BPA because it's linked to cancer and reproductive problems and heart disease. So I was like, I don't know that we ever really heard too much about that report. I'm pretty sure a lot of people wanted to squelch that. And just being um, the language in which it was written was kind of surprising that it was so, you know, direct <laughs> coming from the NIH, the National Cancer Institute.
0: Yeah, that's it's a it's a good document. But that being said, there's a... A lot of money, a lot of companies at risk when you make those recommendations. So I don't know why it didn't circulate. That may be part of it. And you know, often, mm-hmm. too, people people don't want to hear it so much. It, these are major changes, major lifestyle right. changes that you have to make. And exactly. some people aren't willing to make those changes.
1: Well, what do you think about microwaving in general and food nutrients and then microwaving in plastic?
0: Uh, yeah, the... You can argue about how much of the the BPA or other toxins are leached from the plastic, but if you are heating up food in the plastic, that's that's, that's a tough sell for me. Uh, Especially you drink bottled water from these these bottles that sit in warehouses at high temperatures, you can taste it. You know there's a chemical coming off, you can absolutely taste it. And another good one is look at coffee cups. Some of these coffee cups, when you pour it in, you can see the chemicals floating on top, so you know something's Mm -hmm. being leached out. Yeah. Uh you know some some foul play is going on. And even BPA when they initially found it uh or found out about the the issues with it was uh Dr. Hill a scientist who was doing these experiments with mice. They cleaned the cages with a caustic chemical and all of a sudden they started having all these reproductive issues and she didn't she had no clue what was going on. And they realized then that the BPA wow. was getting leached out of the plastic. So it's it's not a long shot to think the microwave or or hot substances is doing that either.
1: Right. So another thing we can do that's simple is taking our shoes off when we come home, not just to keep our carpets clean, but you're tracking in pesticides and chemicals from the outdoors all over your carpet, and then, you know, we're touching it when we're laying around on the floor. So Mm -hmm. that's an easy thing that we can do. Um, And what about, what do you think about um, just reducing our exposure to radiation from medical tests? Being, you know, an oncologist that you yeah. are, do we need, you know, all those uh, scans and x-rays? I, kn-
0: I knew that question was coming, uh, and, <laughs> and I think it's a good one. Uh, recently, in the last couple of years, we have overtaken radon. Radon is a naturally occurring radiation in the environment. We've now overtaken that. Uh, that is radiology and radiation oncology. We're now the number one producers of radiation in the environment. Uh, and it, it's a huge issue And I think a lot of it's medical legal issues I know when I was an intern in internal medicine anyone comes in with any of these issues very minimal issues you're you're ordering a CT scan of their head you're ordering a CT scan of their belly and these 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 pour out a lot of radiation these aren't these aren't even x-rays anymore uh they're they're markedly higher amounts of radiation and I think we are ordering way too many I think people are getting way too many studies done they're they're Looking into ways to to minimize it, and we are adopting a, a less is more approach. It, it's it's tough. People people want more things done, and they they often ignore the fact that you know there's we'll do a CT scan to test for one thing, and your risk of that is you know one in one in a million, but your risk of causing a cancer from the CT scan may be markedly higher. So I'm with you on that, uh, and mm-hmm. I think more and more physicians that uh, we're often critical about physicians ordering tests, et cetera, More and more physicians would actually favor not performing so many of these procedures because we know there's risks. We absolutely know there's risks.
1: Yeah, and it is okay that we can um, be our own boss of our healthcare. And just, you know, I like to think of my doctor like I would, you know, another uh, professional that I hire to help me that I can still say no, that, you know, I'm not really willing to take the risk to find out you know, that little bit of information. But that's, you know, a decision between you and your doctor. Um, So uh, there's um, irradiation of food now, you know, to keep keep us uh, germ-free, apparently. We have to irradiate the food. (laughs) Um, Especially spices are routinely irradiated. Do you think that the radiation remains in foods that have been irradiated?
0: So it doesn't once... The radiation is, there's two types of radiation that we use. There's a linear accelerator where we, it's kind of just like an x-ray, you produce the radiation. And there's also these cobalt sources, and they're they're these uh, sources that just kind of pour off radiation. So the cobalt source is always radioactive. You have to keep it in lead. The linear accelerator, when it's turned off, it's no longer radioactive. So, for instance, a patient, when they receive radiation for cancer from these external sources, they are no longer radioactive when they leave the room. Food is the same. There's there's several issues, though. Food we irradiate to extremely, extremely high doses. To kill bacteria, to kill viruses, uh, you have to get to these doses that are astronomical. The issue is there's other byproducts that are created, and I actually have some research coming out on this now, um, that I recently submitted, so I don't want to tell you too much about it, but uh, Mm -hmm. it it creates oxidation and it creates free radicals. That's how radiation works. It makes free radicals that kill the cancer cells. So to think that doesn't happen in food is a big mistake because I definitely have some data that would would show the opposite, and I I stay away from radiated food.
1: Yeah, and so spices, I would say, put your money in organic. You know, as you run out and have to buy more, it's not that expensive, and... We buy herbs and spices for you know the healing properties, not only because it makes food taste good, but if they've been irradiated you know and, and if oxidation is being created in free radicals, that's not a healing food anymore. But well, we have a couple of minutes um you Do you have a closing thought or um you know to wrap this up anything that we missed
0: i I have a couple of things off the top of my head that I tell patients when they ask me about this about these toxins. Uh, if it has more than twelve syllables, assume it's probably bad for you. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: if you know, we we all often say, "Wow, the Romans drank out of goblets made of lead," and I can't believe that. That's so silly. You know, if you if you're doing something that you could easily see in a hundred or two hundred years, people looking back on and saying, "I can't believe that happened." It's it's so obvious that's bad. Like the organo pesticides, or spraying your food with pesticides and eating it. it. It's a good way to take a take a look at it and. My last one. We're talking about xenoestrogens here from plastics and these toxins. Keep in mind there are xenoestrogens in foods as well, and, and soy is a big one. And I'm a mm-hmm. very—I don't mean to throw a curveball here. I'm a very anti-soy person, yeah. uh, and it 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 does similar things. And a lot of these studies they said that these aren't as, these are the same estrogenic capacity as soy, so they're not harmful. Well, what about us that think soy is harmful? So uh-huh. keep that in mind.
1: Right, yeah. The phytoestrogens in soy, you know, a good book for the skeptic would be The Whole Soy Story by Kayla T. Daniel. And um, I think even, you know, like black beans or something have phytoestrogens. So Mm -hmm. we just need to, um, you know, read. (laughs) Read a book. Absolutely. Get some information. Listen to these great podcasts because that's how we counteract this information that, hey, I thought soy was great for a menopausal woman. No, it's not great for anybody. So, uh, And it's not just the estrogen part. It also has the anti-nutrients and, you know, it's very hard to digest and it's over 97% genetically modified. So I see no reason to eat it unless maybe it's, you know, fermented gluten-free organic tamari sauce or something like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's been another um, informative bunch of uh, information coming our way that will help us live cancer-free lives. And it starts with, you know, nutrition, and then we start pulling in other areas um, that involve the environment. So thank you, uh, Caveman Doctor, for being with us today.
0: Thanks for having me on again. It was great to be here again. I, I really appreciate it. Great talking with you.
1: You too. Thanks very much, and maybe we'll do this again down the road.
0: Keep me posted.
1: Okay. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Okay, that was Caveman Doctor. The website is cavemandoctor.com. My website is getbetterwellness.com. Take a look at my success stories there of people eating real food, reversing real diseases, including um, type 2 diabetes. And you can view a one-hour webinar presentation from my website on that topic of reversing type 2 diabetes, as well as sign up for my free newsletter that comes out a couple times a month. And I also offer Hot Off the Press, a four-DVD series that will teach you all about real food and why we're throwing the food pyramid out the window. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you again next week.